It's good to be back home after spending a week in Ohio. It's wonderful there. I got to celebrate liturgies in beautiful churches with their bishop. But I'll tell you what, this is the real deal. This is the deal. I wouldn't trade it for the world. While I was traveling, I wear my cassock and I noticed there's a great difference between the way I'm perceived here in the state of Washington, let's just use the airport for example, as compared to when I get off the plane in Cleveland. When I'm here in Seattle, I'm met with indifference, sometimes sour looks, with an occasional, hello, Father. As soon as I get off the plane in Cleveland, and this is the same for Pittsburgh and elsewhere that I've been, it's... Hello, Father. Hello, Father. How are you, Father? Everywhere I go. In fact, this time when I got off the plane, there was also the other families from getting off at other planes from the, the, where we were at, the gates we were at. They were Jews. Their big, wide-brimmed black hats, their black coats, with their tassels hanging out underneath the coats. They, too, would acknowledge me, and I would acknowledge them. We were being who we were. And in being who we were, we were being witnesses to what we believed. Last night in the Old Testament readings, we heard two specific Old Testament readings to this Sunday of anointing. The myrrh-bearing women is what we're celebrating this Sunday. And one was the anointing of Aaron and his sons to the priesthood. The other was the anointing of King David. And these anointings mean to be set apart but it also means to be a witness, to live out as a witness what you were anointed for, the service you were anointed for. In the epistle, we heard about the, the calling of the first deacons. They were anointed by the laying on of the hands. They were set apart to bear witness just by being who they were. And we find this in our gospel today. What we're going to talk about is very concrete, the realities that actually happened. It's not make-believe, it's not fiction. These events, we are witnessing through the eyes of the actual witnesses that took the time, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to write them down. Our gospel takes place in two scenes, and it's quite striking, I find that in neither scene are the apostles there. The second scene only references made about them. But in the immediate two scenes, they aren't present. And it bears a powerful witness that whether you are a member of the clergy or not, you are to bear witness to Christ. The opening scene we have, our Lord had died. And two men went to take his body down and bury it. Nicodemus, who had only come to Jesus by night, and Joseph of Arimathea, a secret follower of Jesus. Both these men respected, probably loved Jesus, but it was always from a distance. 
because they did not want their way of life disrupted. They liked their place in the synagogue. They liked their position. They liked to be in good standing before the eyes of others. So Jesus was always at a distance. Always when it was convenient to me. So I will come at night or secretly. Is that any of us? But something must have happened. We know the apostles were not at the crucifixion except for John. And then there was the mother of God, the other women. But perhaps Nicodemus and Joseph were there because they both knew when he had died. It didn't take time for word to get out because time was already limited. By the time he died, they had to get him buried. Remember the Jews asked that the bones be broken so all of this could be, of this other two, so they all could be done before Sabbath began. So they were either right there or in close proximity. There must have been something about that cross. There must have been something about the suffering of Jesus. There must have been something about that cross. Maybe it was the generosity of which he died for others. I don't know what it was specifically. But up to that moment, they were always living in fear of being associated with him publicly. But at this moment, when he died, suddenly, in a flash, in the presence of this cross... Perhaps they began to feel ashamed. Ashamed of the way they felt they presented their relationship with Jesus before others. The way they did it secretly. But there was a definite change in the two of them as a result. So much so that they gave up any concern about what other people thought. Nicodemus would go out publicly and buy all the myrrh and aloes that he needed to bury Jesus. Joseph would boldly go before an evil tyrant in a Gentile room, which would make him impure, ritually, and ask for the body of Jesus. Something happened at the cross to those two men that changed him from living a life of fear to living a life boldly for our Lord. Now we go to the next scene. In the next scene, we have the Murbera women. <clears throat> the women at the cross, when Jesus is suffering and dying, what were they doing there, standing there? What was the purpose of them being there? They couldn't take him down. They couldn't fix the situation. What were they doing? Have you ever been to a hospital with a loved one? Maybe a husband or wife and have experienced it with their spouse or with their child? That they would love to exchange, if they could, the places with them so that they could suffer so the other one would not have to? 
but they're unable to make any changes, and so they do the only thing they can, and they're present with him, holding their hand, stroking their hair. It's by sheer presence that they were giving their love and their strength to Christ. They were giving themselves completely to Him as He hung upon the cross, knowing that they couldn't take Him off, knowing that they couldn't stop the suffering, but they were there, fully present, giving Him their strength, their courage. That's what love does. And so they had to go home for the Sabbath. When they took the body down, they saw the place was. Perhaps they already knew Nicodemus had gone and bought all the material needed to bury Jesus properly. But love had to do something. And so early in the morning, the first day of the week, what do they do? They prepare the spices and they go. <clears throat> they had to do something. Love required it of them. And their preoccupation is of the stone. Who's going to roll it back? What are we going to do about it? It's a huge one. They probably didn't even know that the Jews had asked that a guard be set and a seal put on the stone. They didn't even mention it. But it didn't matter. Because when they got there, they found the angel there. And this is the most striking part. The angels knew why they were there. You are here to see Jesus, the crucified one. He's not here. He's been raised up. Look and go tell the disciples that he'll go ahead of them to Galilee. He doesn't say, look and linger and stick around. He doesn't say, continue to be in your sorrow and your troubles and your fears. He immediately says, look. See for yourself, he's not here, and then go and tell. Go and tell. Go and tell the good news that Christ is risen. Love desired so much to minister to Christ that they were given the first gift of proclaiming the resurrection. Are we living our lives in fear? We want to be Christians in this temple, in our homes, in our cars. But the minute we get outside of that safe space, we can't quit being who we're called to be. We finally start ourselves putting on veils to hide it, to minimalize it. If we do, we need to take another look at the cross. Maybe we haven't reflected on it enough to find courage in it, to be who we're called to be despite the animosity that is out there. And it's no different today than it was then. Are we like the myrrh bearers? Will we be willing, are we willing just to stay and keep looking at the tomb with all our sorrows, our wars, our, our, our woes, our hurts, our sufferings and anguishes and just dwell on that? Are we going to accept what the angel said, that he's not here, he's risen? Turn and leave all of that behind. Because now you have a future. Now you have a hope. Now you have a future life. I should have began this homily with a disclaimer like they do on some movies. About the content. 
Because if you came here today, and you did, and if you heard the gospel proclaimed, and you did, and if you heard my words, and you did, then you and I are bound by that. And that will be our judge. Have we witnessed to Christ? Have we been who we're anointed to be? You are all anointed priest, prophet, and king. You are anointed to be who you're called to be, and in being called to be, you're to go out and bear witness to it. The problem with the churches in the East, as they share with me, they're dying, by the way. A church three times the size would have eight people for Easter. They're not evangelizing. They're too busy worrying about, well, Baba built this church, and Zeto built that church, and we don't want... They're not bringing in people. We're, our mission is evangelization. That's, as Christians, what we're called to do. We're called to leave the comfort zone and go out into the animosity of the world and proclaim to a people who have no hope, I have hope to share with you. Hope in the risen Lord. The cross gives us the strength. The empty tomb gives us the reason to go out. Because Jesus is not bound to the tomb. He's alive and present. And by golly, when we receive the Eucharist today, I bear witness to this. When we receive the Eucharist today, that very risen Lord, who was crucified, who was buried in that tomb, who rose and went ahead to Galilee and met Thomas, that very risen Lord that you who proclaimed in the gospel today, will be present in that chalice. And will be present to you when you receive him in your body. This is a concrete reality. I was given an amazing link or an article about someone in, that was in a communist prison during the time of communism, Russian communism. It was from an eyewitness report. And if I remember right, it was a, a Jew that was imprisoned along with others, priests, Catholic priests, and even Orthodox priests. And this is what he said about this one event. He says, I was there in prison, and there was a priest in prison well, and a, as well. And a guard came in to begin interrogation. He asked the priest, what did you do out in the world? And the priest, he said, I am a priest. He goes, the priest goes, I know you will kill me, you can harm me, you can do all these things. But I tell you, you could gather up all the mathematicians in the world, line them all up and kill them all. Every mathematician. But 4 plus 4 is still going to be 8, and 8 plus 8 is still going to be 16. In other words, truth is going to be truth whether you try to kill me or not. The same was with the Christian faith. Truth is truth whether they accept it or not. But someone has got to bear witness to the truth. It was given to the myrrh bearers, it was given to the disciples, and now it has been given to you and I to go out and bear witness. Bear witness to the world with joy. Give them hope. In a world that has no hope, give them the truth. Be willing to lay down your life for it. Because they can take us all, but the truth will remain. And that is Christ has risen from the dead. By death he trampled death, and to those in the tombs he granted life.